We're going to look at Matthew 25. Jesus is doing this uh, kind of section of teaching here about really what's going to happen when he comes back, when he comes soon. And then he begins to go into this, uh, he goes into a parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and then he goes into this uh, kind of picture of what it's going to be like when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, before the glorious throne of heaven. He gives us a picture of what we are about to behold. And he says this, that when the Son of Man, in Matthew 25 and 31, that when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I want you to catch what he said here today, that he said, come and inherit the kingdom prepared for you. This picture, uh, this uh, scripture here reminds us of the beautiful and glorious hope that we all have that Revelation 7 talks about that at the throne of God is going to be gathered every tribe, every language, every nation. And the scripture reminds us here that there is a gathering of all nations in that place. And even as we begin to come back together in person, it, this, this scripture here in Revelation 7, that is our future hope of one day what these little earthly gatherings give us a picture of hope of what it's one day going to be like to gather with all the people of the kingdom of God together around the throne of God. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful place that's going to be to see how that's going to sound and see how that's going to look like. We have that as our hope. But it's amazing here in the scripture that I want to show you today that Jesus that shows them that the thing that they're going to inherit is it more money isn't a better house, isn't a better car, although all those things would be great, right? It isn't any of those things, but the thing that they're going to inherit is the kingdom. We're talking about the kingdom of God. When we talk about the kingdom, the kingdom is a, a concept that sometimes it's hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to grasp because we don't live in a kingdom. We live in a democracy. We don't understand what it's like to have a king or a queen above us that's, that looks different. But when Jesus came on the earth, obviously the people in time knew what the idea of a king was. The idea of having a king ruling over them. That was a big picture. That was a beautiful picture. And that was a picture that was intended to be all along. That Jesus is intended to be the king that is seated on the throne. And this is what he tells them here. That the king will say this. And today I want to talk to you about the name we wear. The name we wear. You know, 53 times kingdom, the word kingdom is mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew, over and over again, if you take Matthew and you sit down and you read it in one setting, I encourage you to do that. It will change your life. When you read Matthew in one setting, you notice that there is a theme over and over again that... Uh, Matthew is using the word kingdom a lot. You'll hear John the Baptist, you'll hear Jesus begin to talk about repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew chapter 5, you read the Beatitudes and he talks about uh, uh, blessed are those who are poor in spirit and they're going to inherit once again 
the kingdom. The idea of being associated with the kingdom was a picture that Jesus was trying to present in this gospel. Trying to realize to the people that they were tied as followers of Christ, as his disciples, that they were tied to a greater kingdom. Not to a kingdom of this world, not to a kingdom of this place that we're living in now, but a kingdom that will surpass, that will go beyond the failed infrastructure of humanity, but a kingdom that no man or no one could ever topple down. I love what Psalm chapter 2 says, that kings and governors plot to overthrow, make their plans against the king. And Psalm chapter 2 says, but the king puts back his head and he laughs at them. All the the struggles of man that try to overtake the king, but it will never happen. There is a greater kingdom, and it's the kingdom of God. You kind of get the idea here that what Jesus was trying to uh, give them the, the idea was that they were attached to a kingdom that was not of this world. They were attached to a kingdom that was different than this world. They were attached to a place that was not representative of their surroundings, which made it all the more difficult to live in the world they were living in. Uh, Over and over again, Matthew, Luke, John, Mark, they talk about Jesus speaking to the disciples, be careful, you're going to be persecuted for my sake. You're going to have a hard time because you're going to bear the name of the kingdom of God upon you. It's going to be difficult because you're not going to look like the world. You're going to be like you're swimming upstream in a world that is trying to oppose you. And so I wanted to kind of understand here today, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to wear that label as a Christian? What does it mean? How does that define us in the faith? What does that look like in our present world, in this present day and age? How does that uh, uh, resemble uh, in our hearts? The Bible talks about being called Christians only a very few times, believe it or not. Only just a handful of times does the Bible use the word Christian. Because it was a term that was relatively new to the people who were known as the believers or those of the way, of the followers of the faith. This was something that they were just beginning to grasp. But it became a term that began to denote their way of life, their way of practicing following Christ. I remember in my, in, in my time when I was being prepared to be sent out overseas uh, to do missions work, we went through training, and one of the important parts of our training was we had to begin to explore what it meant to be a Christian. Because to many cultures around the world, to say that you are a Christian is, gives you a kind of association with a national identity or something different that is not necessarily representative of the Bible. So to be a Christian, when someone asks you, maybe you're on an airplane, you're flying into the Middle East, you're flying into South America, and somebody asks you, are you a Christian? We were trained to say, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean? If you mean somebody who follows Jesus and practices the word of God, then yes, that's who I am. But there's this kind of blurring of lines today of what it means to be a Christian. Because now, in many days, there are major doctrinal differences that are contrary to the Word of God that also get lumped into that category of being called a Christian. But in the Bible, when they were called a Christian, it was representative of other factors. And that's what I want to go explore with you this morning. What does it mean to be a Christian? 
The Bible talks about that they were called Christians. Believe it or not, only three times in the Bible does the Bible use the word Christian, uh, depending on your translation, but most of the time it's only three, uh, word, three times. And the first time we see that they were called Christians is in Acts chapter 11. And this is a beautiful scripture here. Uh, you talk about the fellowship of the believers, the church that's coming alive in Antioch, and God is doing great things. And so let's look here in Acts chapter 11. It says that, that uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 23, that when he came, talking about Barnabas, and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is the first time we see the word Christian in the Bible. This is the first time where the people of God, the people who were known as the church among themselves, that they were first called Christians. An interesting thing to note about Antioch is that Antioch is the third largest, uh, third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. It was a very large place. It had an influx of people from all around. It was a wash of people. It was not just representative of one people group, but people group from all around. It was this big mashup, big melting pot. It was a New York City, if you will, of the Roman Empire. It had a, a little bit of everybody. And so the Christians being the third largest, or being this, this Antioch, being the third largest city in the Roman Empire, they were also known for their worship of some of the Roman gods, the, naming Apollo and Artemis. This was what was happening in Antioch. They were known for worship of these Roman gods. So now there's this distinction being made. Because listen, if you're in Rome, right, you serve many gods. You're a pluralistic society. You worship a, a, a multitude of gods. But now there's this distinction being made because there is this movement of people who are invading this Roman city and that are beginning to say that they worship only one god. And not only worship one God, but they worship the one that was crucified on the cross, that resurrected from the dead. Of course, the Roman people had heard the stories. So there was this distinction that was beginning to be made in Antioch among the pluralistic society of many gods and the worship of Almighty God, only the one God. And so now they are beginning to be called Christians in Antioch, because, and this is what we kind of get the picture here in Acts chapter 11, they were called Christians because of their community. Because of their community. Community is such an important aspect of the Christian faith. And we have learned that, haven't we, in the past three months. We have learned that. What it is so important to be in community. We have learned that when we are not together... Sometimes we feel sad. We have learned that when we're not together, it's not the same. We have learned that when we don't come together, there is sometimes a discouragement that comes along with that. We have learned that when we're not together, there is sometimes elements of fear that enter our minds and make us feel like we're all alone. Community is an important element of the Christian faith. And they were called Christians in Antioch because the people of the Roman city recognized that they were a community. 
They saw how they began to come together, how they began to provide for one another, how there was no lack of need. There is, they began to see how the church began to stand up and speak for those who didn't have anybody to help them, who began to be a voice for those who were marginalized and give them hope in that season and take them in, the widows and the orphans, and begin to give them shelter. The Roman city realized that there was something different happening in the community of the Christians. And it marked them. It gave them a distinction that was different than the Roman city. And this is still even the case today. That what does it mean to be a Christian? It, part of being a Christian is being a part of community. Not just coming to church. Not just going to church and leaving. We go in and we leave and there's never this uh, joining together. But if we're really going to be Christians, if we're really going to be followers of Christ, then we're going to be a part of a community. We're going to lock arms with our brothers and sisters and say, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm sticking up for you. I'm going to fight for you in prayer. I love how Paul would send letters to the churches and he would say, so-and-so is wrestling, Epaphras, he would say, is wrestling in prayer for you. He would tell them over and over again that so-and-so, he's coming to you. They're praying for you. The sisters are doing this for you. There was this just encouragement knowing that they were there for each other. And this isn't, isn't this the case today? Isn't it a great sense of comfort when we can come together as believers and know that there I have a place of refuge in my community? I know that I am safe among the brothers and sisters. I know that they care for me. I know that they love me. I know that they're going to stick up for me. I know that they're going to help me. And that's who God's called us to be. That's how God has distinguished his church from the world, is a people who are willing to lay down their lives for one another. Now, can I ask you a question? Where in the world do you see that else today? It's a, it's a unique distinction that was modeled by the life of Christ, laying down our lives for one another. It's this immense love that comes out of our heart. It's a sense of community. Community is not only developed by our care and concern for one another, but community in the body of Christ comes by being knit together by the Holy Spirit. We see this over and over again throughout the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, that when they gathered together, the Holy Spirit began to be at work among them. That tells us something that the Holy Spirit works in the community of the believers. He works when we gather together. He works when we are joining in our arms and arms together. I've often thought it interesting that uh, why you see here in, you see in China, in one of the most persecuted churches of the world, how you see these churches and you hear these stories of pastors and, and, and believers who will go out at 2 a.m. and find a place that is dark and hidden and just has a little light bulb above them to gather together. Why would they go to such extremes to do that? Because they realized that after they read the word of God, they got the picture that they needed each other. That they were called to be the body of Christ. That the body, listen, this finger can't function without the hand. And the hand can't function without the arm. And the arm can't function without the shoulder. You get the picture. That it all begins to link up and we need each other. We need the distinction of community. 
They were called Christians not only because of community, but we see this other unique example that in Acts chapter 26, that the Bible shows us that Paul is beginning to go before King Agrippa, a king whose heart is just a little too cold. And Paul begins to share his story. He shares his conversion experience, how he was on the road to Damascus and his life was changed. And Agrippa looks at Paul and says to him, Paul, do you think in such a short time you could persuade me to be a Christian? Do you think in such a short time you could persuade me to be a Christian? This is only the second time we see the word used Christian. And what is really unique is that the distinguishing nature of Christian has actually reached the level where it has become well-known even among royalty, even among the levels of kings. This community, listen, this is really important, this community has begun to stand out so much so because of what they're doing, because of the message that they're preaching, that now even the king recognizes those people are Christians. They're different. There's something strange about them. They don't look like everybody else. They don't smell like everybody else. They have this different aroma about them. This is really important that now even the king has noticed them and he says this, that when in such a short time could you persuade me to be a Christian? Notice that they were called Christians not only because of their community, but they were called Christians because of their message. Because of their message. It was what Paul was preaching. Paul wasn't preaching about himself. He was preaching, Jesus changed my life. Jesus came and absolutely made me different and made me whole and absolutely radically made me the person that I am today. He gave me the forgiveness of sins. And now he's being sanctified day by day. They were known by their message. A message that is contrary to a world. A message that in a Roman culture was absolutely different. But it is the message of the kingdom of God that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He came, He gave Himself and died for us. He resurrected again and now He's seated on a glorious throne and He's coming soon even again. That's the message of the kingdom, the gospel, that God came to bring peace with us and with one another. They were known for their community. They were known for their message. And then First Peter, Peter also gives this distinction of what it meant to be a Christian, the third example. And he says that yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Notice this. He says that if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. In that name of being a Christian. If you remember, you go back and you read the teachings of Jesus. Jesus told the disciples, you're going to be persecuted for my name. There's going to be some people, they're not going to like you. Peter, when you, when you get to the place that you're going in your purpose, he tells them in John 21, you're going to experience some persecution too. He gives them warning a warning that their message was not going to be accepted. That they were going to have to develop a way of life that was different. You go through and really, uh, Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is really this manifesto of the kingdom of God that this kingdom that God is declaring, it is different. It is unlike any other kingdom. What kind of king is encouraging his people to love his enemies? What kind of kingdom a king is encouraging his people to turn the other cheek? What kind of king is telling them if they sue you, give them everything you've got? 
No, this message was a different thing. And what, the, what it meant to be a Christian, Peter was beginning to explain to them that they were known for their way of life. What it meant to be a Christian was because of the community, the message, but now it was the way of life. They were different. Peter is also the one who goes on and tells them that you're going to be a royal priesthood. You're going to be a, 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 the wording there that he uses is a strange people almost. You're going to be a peculiar people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, what Peter is doing is he is helping to define the lines of what it meant to be in the world and of the world. What he was doing was showing them that, yes, you are in the world, but you are not of the world. What he was trying to do was teach them to practice the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray that said, let your kingdom come here in this world, in this earth, not, not be of this place, but come in this place. It's almost as if you would picture the, the picture of what Revelation talks about, that he sees Jerusalem ascending down out of heaven and coming and establishing on the earth. Really, that gives us the picture of what God is trying to do now here on the earth, is that God is trying to have his kingdom come and be in this world, but not of this world. The distinction is important that, so that the believers would know that you are going to look different. You are going to act different. The Romans are going to do things and you're not going to like them. But you are not going to be the same people. You don't even respond like they respond. You keep practicing the life as Jesus instructed you. It was this message of understanding that if you suffer as a Christian, glorify in that name. Be, glorify God but in the fact that you have been labeled by that name. Kind of like Peter and John when they left the temple and they were being persecuted. They were rejoicing that they were able to suffer for the sake of Christ. They rejoiced that they were able to be accounted in the same way as Jesus was. They were known for their way of life. They were known for their message. They were known for their community. But I want you to catch what is happening here. Is that there is this big line being drawn. There is this big distinction that is being drawn. The culture around them is not wondering, who are these people? What are they doing? No, they knew who they were. They knew that they were followers of Christ. They knew that they were preaching the gospel. They knew that they were a community. Their distinction about them had been made. And so we go back to what we talked about earlier, that the name that they wore, it wasn't anything other than Christian. Christian. They realized that. They realized that, that they were labeled by whom they served. They were labeled by that. They knew that the Roman government didn't want them there. They knew that the people, they weren't welcome there. But they gladly wore the name as follower of Christ. Names in the Bible are significant. And maybe not so significant as today. We see, if you go back to Genesis, that God changed Abram's name to Abraham. You see that Jacob's name was changed from Jacob to Israel. We even see that Saul, in his conversion, that after he was converted, his name was changed from Saul to Paul. 
All of this to say that when their name was changed, it noticed it was a denotion, a way of denoting that their life had been changed. It was denoting that they were not who they used to be, but they were somebody completely new. It was a way of signifying to the world and to everybody around them that I am not who I used to be. You can't call me Abram anymore because that's not who I am anymore. I'm now Abraham. You can't call me Jacob anymore. That's who I used to be, but God has made me now Israel. You can't call me Saul who ravages the church and persecutes Christians. Now you call me Paul. His name was changed, and so it was for the sake of the believers that everybody that was coming into that community, their name was being changed. They were no longer being known as people of the world, people of the culture. Now their name was being changed to citizens of the kingdom of God, people of heaven, Christian, follower of Christ, followers of the way, believer in Jesus Christ. All of their distinction was being made to the kingdom of God. So now we go back to Matthew chapter 25. Why would Jesus say to them, the king will come say to you, come, let us inherit the kingdom. Because what he was telling them is now the place that you have identified with for so long, but you had never really been able to set foot in it. You had always beholded it as your hope. The place that you had always looked to. The place that you had always stood up for and you had made a difference for. That thing that you always pressed through. You endured. You went through persecution. You endured it all. You, you bear the marks of my name upon you. All of that to say, now, listen. You can come into that kingdom that you so long represented. You can come into that place. You wore the name Christian and you wore it well. So now come my faithful servant and inherit the kingdom that was so placed for you. Christian is the distinction, not just a label that we wear to mark some song we sing or some Bible we read. Christian is a label we wear that marks our identity as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It changes who we are. We're going to close in prayer today. I want to remind us today that as we begin to go into a world that is ever-changing, we go into a world that Jesus preached and the disciples preached over and over again, that the times will change, that the earth will change, that things are going to begin to look different. And there's going to be this place well, you're going to have to be willing to wear that name and wear it gladly. Romans 1 said it this way, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It was a label that the early church gladly wore. They were okay with being considered a strange people. They were be okay with being considered a people who didn't look like the world. They were okay with that. They didn't do everything that the world did. They didn't act like the world did. But that was all right because they realized that the life that they were living was the life that they hoped the world would begin to live, a life of following Christ. Being the church is an honor. Being a Christian is even a greater honor. Remember whose name we wear when we wear the name Christian. We wear Christ's name and we wear everything he ever stood for. And so when we leave our gatherings, when we leave our places of coming together, we must remember who we represent. We must remember that when we stand up to the world and we open our mouth, I'm no longer speaking on behalf of Charlie. I'm speaking on behalf 
of my Jesus, whom I so love. This is why Paul told the Corinthians, he says, you are ambassadors of Christ. You're going out into the world and you're standing up for something that is bigger than you, greater than you. So let us do it well. Let us stand with a a message of hope upon us, not just a name we wear, but an identity that we have embraced so deep within our hearts. And this is where the transformation has to begin. We have to begin to get to the place where it's not just something people see on the outside. It's not just a label we wear, but it's an identity we embrace in our hearts. Begins to be the transformation, the root of everything inside of us. And so today, as we come back together as our first time in person, I just really sense this today as I was preparing. May we not forget, may we not forget what we have learned these past three months. Remember, we serve a God who is in control. And there is nothing that has happened in time or in future time that has happened outside of the purview of God. And everything that has happened in these past three months, God knew all about it. And God allowed to happen for a certain reason that maybe we don't know, maybe we know some of it, what only God knows. But may we never forget what we learned in this season. That we, the people in here, the people that come and watch online, the people that come together, that we are the church, Christians. We don't need a building to label us. We don't need a sign to label us. We don't need a logo to label us. But the identity and what really marks us is by how we represent our king. We'll be all the more different and change the world all the better if we wear that name as Jesus so instructed us. If we wear it proudly, if we wear it with honor, if we wear it in a sense that says, I am not of this world. I'm just in it. And I hope and pray that you could know the same God whom I represent. I don't want to go back to the way we were three months ago. I want to go into the future of knowing that we are the church. That when I drive out of the parking lot today and I exit onto Cloverleaf Lane and make a turn onto Louise, that there goes the church down the road. That people don't stop by the wor- this building and drive down on 64 and say, there's All Nations Church. But that they see us in the community making differences and they say, there goes the church. Look, watch, whoa, that God's doing things through them. And they begin to be drawn into the place that 1 Corinthians 14 says that they see the wonders of God among us so much that they bow down on their faces and they say, surely God is at work among them. The greatest thing that anybody could ever say about us as a church is to say, surely God is at work among them. That's what we need. A fresh baptism of God's work among us so that when we move out into this world, they know those people, they are representatives of the kingdom of God. They're representatives of Jesus Christ. Let's stand today. Would you close your eyes with me today? 
Lord, we thank you today that we are your people. We're Christians, a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a peculiar people. We thank you, Lord, that you have picked us out of the world to be representatives of your kingdom. God, today, I pray that all of us here, starting with this guy right here, that God, the name Christian upon us would not be just the name we wear, but it would be our identity, that we would identify with the kingdom that is not of this world, but it's a kingdom soon to come, that we may hear the words of our king say, come and inherit this kingdom. I thank you, Lord, that today you have made us different. I thank you that the past three months you've changed us. I thank you, God, that we're not the same we were yesterday, but we're going to become all that you want us to be in the days to come. Lord, I pray, as we have learned, we're not marked by this building, but we're marked by the community, the message, our way of life, that we will begin to be people of this community that will begin to be distinguished by how we preach the gospel, by how we serve. God, I pray the Holy Spirit would be at work among us, that unbelievers may enter in and say, surely God is at work. God, we need that here today. So we pray today, come Holy Spirit, fill us, renew us, and help us today. May your kingdom come here, Lord. God, one day we're going to watch as the great city of Jerusalem descends down from heaven. But today, may we behold the kingdom of God being established here on earth. God, I pray, come Holy Spirit. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, God. Let it be so. Father, we give ourselves to you today. Change us, Lord. Make us a distinguished people. Sanctify us day by day. God, make us different. And God, help us to be representatives for you. I thank you today, Father. If you're here this morning, you want God to change your life. You want God to do something different. You're watching online. You need God to do something different in you. You want to begin a journey of following Christ. I invite you today to come to him. Let him change your life. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. Everything you've ever done, doesn't matter what it is, God will forgive it. And you'll get a new identity. That old life will pass away, and your new life will be changed forever. If you begin to ask the Lord today, make that your prayer. I know God will help you. And God, today we pray for those need to begin to follow you, a change in their life. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and regenerate their hearts. Make them new today, that the old would pass away and all things would become new today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we sing this morning and give our hearts to the Lord and rejoice today?